Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the Sopoli Boutique Hills of Encino, California, where industry and nature work hand in hand to create a better life for all of us. <laughs> the program. <laughs> cack, calf, cack. Oh, boy. Welcome to College Radio. Program is produced by Magic and Matt Allen. If that's his name on the Outlaw Radio Network. True Crime Uncensored. I am the legendary Burl Bear. Mark C.G. Boyer is here. Howard Lapidus is not here today. Kip Adada joins us. Hiya, Kip. Half his mic's not on and neither his headphones. But aside from that, it's a good answer. The mic is partially on. Yes, well, so is your career. And now, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, uh, let's discuss the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. You've probably heard of that. That goes back, it uh, happened in 1929, murder of seven mob associates, part of a Prohibition-era conflict, supposedly, between two powerful criminal gangs in Chicago. Southside Italian gang, led by Al Capone, Northside Irish gang, led by Bugs Moran. Former members of the Egan's Rats gang were also suspected of having played a significant role, along with the Jewish Purple Gang. Why they were called Purple Gang, I'm not quite sure. From Detroit. From oh, thank you. They used a there you go. Thompson submachine guns. Why don't we say hi to our guest? We will in just a moment. Hi, guest. Hi, Dieter. How you doing? Good, except I've got some noise on my end here, guys. What kind of noise you got? It's like uh, a radio station is going on. It's music. You, you're getting music? That's strange. We've had this blade in, the blade back before. Yeah. Well, we're not, we're not hearing it, and I hope you enjoy the music. <laughs> But it's hard to hear you. Oh, it's hard to hear me. We'll ask yeah. our we'll ask our brilliant producer if he has any known reason why she's getting a radio feed in her. He head. does. He solved this problem once, so he can do it again. Okay, we'll work on that. Now, now, now it's better. Oh, good. Now, uh, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, I was looking it up online, and I got about 127,000 pages of detailed investigation uh, talking about, uh, well, let's let's talk about what the standard version of the story is. You're Al, Al Capone's beloved niece, who he would bounce on his knee and share his recipes with, and that sort of thing. <laughs> He did, Matt. He did share recipes, and they're in the book, Uncle Al Capone. So if you want to cook up some of Al's favorite recipes, they're in the book. <laughs> right. Well, you know, since my book came out, um, my grandfather told me before he died, I had him till I was 34 years old, and my grandfather told me, you know, before he died, that no Capone had anything to do with the Valentine's Day Massacre. But I needed to get some proof before I could put that, you know, conclusion in my book. I, I'm now uh, a, a speaker, and I go around and I do talks, and I have put together a few PowerPoint presentations. I can't show your listeners anything right now, but I can tell them this. On February 14th, 1929, there were seven people killed in the garage. They were put up against a wall, and they were shot down. Um, now, I have a very strange quirk of fate because my, my my husband of today, his aunt was the sister of the so-called mechanic that was killed in the Valentine's Day Massacre. Oh, yeah, the guy with a little bit of a gambling problem. Correct, Johnny May. And so Johnny used to come home and tell 
his family that Bugs Moran was getting really upset because police were stealing cases of alcohol off the back of the trucks, and they would go out and sell them and, you know, get some money. But, you know, <laughs> still that wasn't enough proof. But, you know, February 14th, 1929, you know, these people were killed. March 20th through the 27th, seven consecutive days, my uncle appeared before the grand jury in the city of Chicago, and he gave testimony for seven days. That is in the FBI files. I got that out of the FBI files. What I can't find is anything, any newspaper article about that. You know, it's, it's like they've just been purged. I mean, somebody gives seven days testimony before, before the federal grand jury. So that's one timeline. Um, then my uncle got scared because of Bugs um, <coughs> Moran's, you know, uh, people. So he purposely got himself arrested in the city of Philadelphia for carrying a gun. Mm. To, get him, all, to get him off the street? Correct. That was all set up ahead of time. You know, my grandfather told me that my uncle called, you know, the police there and said, I'm going to be in town with my bodyguard and I'm going to be carrying a weapon. So they sentenced him on the spot instantly to a year in jail and his bodyguard also. If you go to Eastern State Penitentiary, you will see Al Capone's cell. It's outside of the riot gates, and his his um, bodyguard was right next door. Al Capone had total freedom. He could go down the street, get a cup of coffee, <laughs> you, know, you know, do whatever he wanted to do while he was there. He got out in a year. I'm sorry, he got out in, in seven months. He got out in March. What would that be? Um, like eight months or something like no. that. He came back to Chicago. Um, but let's back up. October 1929, the stock market crashed. My grandfather was running, you know, the business at that time. My grandfather opened up the very first soup kitchens the world has ever seen and people would line up and he would feed them that's october 1929 you're talking about al capone right now ralph capone my grandfather al al was in in eastern state penitentiary at the time that the stock market crashed but al was still running everything you know i mean my grandfather was present but al was still running things so al got out in March of 1930. On March 24th, 1930, Al Capone was named Man of the Year by Time Magazine, and his face was the cover of Time. Right, put that up on the website for you today. All right, do you think Time Magazine would put somebody on the cover if they knew he had killed him? Well, they put Osama bin Laden on, on it. But, well, maybe so, but... Um, <laughs> maybe the, so. The testimony that, you know, things were different back then. Today, it's just a crazy world. I mean, it's like, I see things that I 
don't even believe it. I, would, I went to the pet store the other day and get some food for my dog, and I came out. I thought I was in a reality show. These women were yelling at each other and pushing each other around. I mean, it was like right <laughs> there in the parking lot. Like Shaw's of Sunset. <laughs> but anyway, March 24th, 1930. And so... Everybody knew that Al Capone had nothing to do with the Valentine's Day Massacre. But there were six businessmen in the city of Chicago who, they felt that, you know, it was beneath them to have an Italian immigrant, you know, sons be very powerful. Um, In 1931, I'm sorry, 1930. Three, the World's Fair was going to be held in Chicago, and that was also their centennial. Uh, Chicago was formed in 1833. So in 1933, the, Chica- uh, the World's Fair was going to be held in Chicago. Dignitaries from around the world were calling the Chicago City Council. They wanted to come to the World's Fair, but they wanted to meet Ralph Capone and Al Capone, and they wanted to be sure that they were there. These six businessmen just freaked out. (laughs) I mean, their families came over on the Mayflower. You know, they're the deep pocket people that everybody knows their names. My father... My father, whether the, well, I don't know the punchline of this story, but I will tell you that my father gave me a pin, which I still have, a, a little gold-plated pin from the 1933 Chicago World's Fair. Right. Yeah, I had some coins from that also. So in 1931, late in 1931, Al Capone got arrested for income tax evasion. All the racketeers, Lucky Luciano got arrested for income tax evasion. My grandfather got arrested for income tax evasion. All the other, you know, guys that got arrested for it got anywhere from one to three years. My grandfather served three. Al Capone got sentenced to 11 years. Same amount of money, same years. Let me tell you something about 1931 and income tax. The income tax had not been around that long. And when it was first put into place, there was a provision in the income tax law that said you did not have to declare any income that you earned illegally because that would be against your Fifth Amendment right. Fifth Amendment right. Al Pacino Pacino started a movie as a lawyer in... uh, and uh, uh, he was try. He was uh, defending or trying a case, and uh, and the, the, the and justice ju- for all. The, the, and justice for all is the title of the movie. Correct. Thank you, thank you, Mark. And uh, there, a joke uh, was formed uh, because of that movie. At the Hall of Justice, the only justice is in the hall. So, you know, but these, all of these guys that were into bootlegging, you know, even Joe Kennedy, they didn't know that they had to pay income tax because it was earned illegally. Once they knew, they offered to pay it, but they wanted Al Capone away. So they put him away. Now, he filed an appeal, and it was, you know, turned down. His last, you know, goal was to file a writ of habeas corpus. 
he was one day away. All of the, the papers had been filed. All of the evidence had been filed. And he was one day away from being taken out of Atlanta and taken back to the city of Chicago to go before the judge and jury with all this new evidence. That's when J. Edgar Hoover called up the first warden of Alcatraz, Warden Johnston, and he said, if you want to attract worldwide attention to, you know, how tough this prison is, transfer Al Capone there. And that's what they did. They transferred him to there. The last sign you see when you get on the ferry to go out to the island of Alcatraz is a quote by the first warden, Johnston. And it said, Alcatraz was opened to incarcerate irredeemable men, men who could never return back to society. That's not Al Capone. Al Capone got out of Alcatraz in 1939. He died in 1947. You cannot find one bit of media ink anywhere that he did anything wrong after he got out. But what I'm going around feverishly trying to do is show people. I mean, he he was persecuted unjustly. He well, really good was. luck on that one. You know, what they say, Lenny, as Lenny Bruce said, if you're going to fight for right, wear your old clothes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got my old clothes on, and man, am I pushing against the... Well, the let's, let's go back to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Oh, uh, we got a problem with your microphone there. Should, yeah, uh, check your... No, it's not working. No, no. When the myth becomes fact, print the myth. Yeah. Uh, going back to the investigation on this, when there was the uh, the one uh, police car, whatever, got sideswiped. I mean, you had witnesses who identified the guy who was missing one front tooth. Uh, the uh, you know the, the the basic concept was is that uh, Al wanted to take care of a bump off a Bugsy, and they mistook the what the optician or the optometrist or something one of the other guys for for bugs and he wasn't even there at the time and that these guys weren't real cops or they could have been real cops because the cops were uh what was it you were saying kip the cops were in tight with uh the, the al capone owned the Chicago. alcohol off the back of bugs moran's truck yeah you said that al you Cap- know i've got a picture of bugs moran hugging al capone they were adversaries, but they they both wanted to do a good job of giving people what they wanted. What was going on, and this is, you know, my, my grandfather telling me this, and he used this expression, Bugs' head was getting too big for his hat. <laughs> Just wanted to take more and more and more business. And Al said, you know, there's enough for all of us. We don't have to do that. And that's all they were going to do is make Bugsy a deal he couldn't refuse, you know. Um, they, they would, my, if, if you understood um, the, the modus operandi of Al Capone, he would not ever do anything like that. I, was, I, just, I don't know why, but I, I knew that there was, uh, I've seen the movie uh, Valentine's Day Massacre and done some reading on it. And somehow, and I don't know where the source was, but I've always I've always known or believed that it was the Purple Gang that did that hit. Correct, correct. It, it, and then you know, the, I blame the Jews. <laughs> these six businessmen, you know, 
1931 tried to blame all of this stuff on the Capone boys. And, you know, before that, really, Al Capone had a kind of a Robin Hood. He was, he was the Donald Trump of uh, his day. Or he was Robin Hood. I mean, you know, it, he'd give people what they wanted. I mean, I, I just talked to a man whose father um, used to go and get a cup of coffee for Al when he was in his office at the Hawthorne Hotel. And Al would give him a $10 bill and you'd go get me, you know, a cup of coffee and the, the boy would bring the coffee back and Al would give him, keep the change. You know, I mean, people... What did the really coffee cost? A nickel? Nickel, maybe. Yeah, sure. It probably cost about no more than a dime, probably a nickel. And the kid went and got it and kept the change. You know, I mean, he would buy all the newspapers from a guy and the little kid on the corner because it was freezing cold outside. And Al would buy all the newspapers and send the kid home. Well, yeah, he had that uh, he had that reputation. But, you know, when, when you get into the the all the stories about it and all the details, you know, the reminiscences of the wife of the guy who was driving the truck and all this and that, although it still officially says perpetrators unknown, because they don't know for sure. I mean, was there bloodshed? Of course there was. Uh, but there was really more bloodshed in the police business and the newspaper business. Um, and, you know, uh, I, I and, got some statistics on that. Uh, rumor has that Tony Curtis and Jack Lemon were in that garage at that moment. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> were, they, were they wearing uh, dresses? You ever uh, something like it hot? Yes. Yeah, uh, well, there you go. That's where I get my info. <laughs> <laughs> well, I chased Marilyn yeah, yeah, around the block. <laughs> no, my, my uncle, Matty, who was um, Al's youngest um, uh, brother, was in a car out in the alley the day before with uh, Jack McGurn. And what they were told to do is just to watch um, and, and see when bugs would go into the garage, what, you know, where he would come from, you know, what time he would leave the garage, just, you know, get some information because then they were going to talk to him, you know. Well, my Uncle Maddie said that they were watching and watching and this black touring car, like a police car, went down the alley and was had policemen in it and then it would come back and it would go by the alley again and my uncle maddie said you know jack and i got scared you know they they could pull us in for loitering or something so we left but he saw the police car and you know and then another couple um you know i just read this they heard the shots they had a laundry and they were ironing some right things and they saw the cops with guys with their arms up in the air looking like you know thieves you know getting into the police car it was all staged well yeah now according to uh the uh what's her name georgette uh whatever i had her name here just a minute ago um 
Uh, Gus Winkler's widow, Georgette, in both an yeah. official FBI statement and her memoirs, which were published in uh, True Detective Magazine, uh, 1935-36, said her husband and his friends informed a special crew used by Capone for high-risk jobs. The mob boss was said to have trusted them implicitly and nicknamed them the American Boys. Uh, Byron uh, Bolton's statements were also backed up by William Drury, a maverick Chicago detective who stayed on the massacre case long after everyone else had given up. Bank robber Alvin Carpus later claimed to have heard second hand from Ray Nugent about the massacre and that the American boys were paid a collective salary of $2,000 a week plus bonuses. Uh, Carpus also claimed that Capone himself had told them while they were in Alcatraz together that Gus had been planning uh, had he been the actual planner of the massacre itself. But did never, nowhere ever does it actually say that uh, Al Capone ordered this. No. No, and, and he didn't. Um, I, You know, but what this has done to me in my life is, number one, um, in 1950, uh, Senator uh, Estes Kefauver was going to make a run for the presidency. And to attract a lot of media attention, he opened a Senate investigation into racketeering. And that was in 1950 when... Right. Um, you know, we all, a bunch of people just got their little television sets, and so they would do it in the evening over dinner time so everybody could watch what ah, was yes. going on. Ah, yes, remember that, yep. And the first person called to testify, and he testified for three consecutive days, was my grandfather, Ralph Capone. And that's where you started seeing all these people say, I stand on the fifth, I stand on the fifth, I stand on the fifth. They wouldn't answer anything. They would just stand on the fifth. You know, Senator Estes Kefauver never did uh, run for the presidency because he exposed too many of his political friends during that investigation. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, that was a problem for him. So I, I would like to know... Um the uh, the individuals that were were killed, um, they were all uh, associated with bugs. Yes, they were. Even Johnny May, who was you know supposedly the mechanic, um, no, he he was a safe cracker, and he he would he would crack safes for um, Bugs Moran. But he he was employed by him and would run numbers for him and stuff like that. So. So you have to say that uh, your uncle did benefit from uh, the loss of uh, these individuals. Um, he benefited in a way that probably uh, most people don't understand. Um, that was a, 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 a blow to Bugs Moran. It really, right. I mean, it, it shot a great big hole in his operation. And in several of his associates. We have to take a 60-second <laughs> break. Dear, we'll okay. be right back on True Crime right, Uncensored. Okay, please do. If you're on a cell phone, and we know you do, or talk to an imaginary president in a chair in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning, and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com, the smoking, drinking, interrupting, 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. The demons of decadence change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. 
Go ahead. It's now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. Hi, I'm the legendary Burl Bear. Better known around here as good old Uncle Crazy, the commie rat. <laughs> in my spare time... I'm famous. I write true crime books, mysteries, supernatural thrillers, and nonsense like that. And I'll be date-specific this time because it's March 2nd, 2013. Tonight at uh, 6 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Investigation Discovery, I'll be on Deadly Sins, an episode entitled Mommy's Little Killers, based on my book, Mom Said Kill. And I'll tell you, even in the TV adaptation, the kid still doesn't get the dirt. Bike. Are you are you sure Deadly Sins isn't about your voting record? It's muy posible, Mateo. Oh, and while you're at it, buy all my books, including Body Count, the true story of the Spokane serial killer Robert Lee Yates. Also, we have a headshot, two and a half psychopaths, three trials, and a couple dead bodies. Now, let's see what else. Oh, yes, Masters of True Crime, 17 true crime authors, all in one handy-dandy book, edited by our friend... Our Berry Flowers. Buy several copies of all of them immediately and watch me on TV because I'll be on a lot because they just keep running that stuff over and over and over and over again. And now back to True Crime Uncensored on Outlaw Radio. Back to True Crime. Yeah. Uncensored. <laughs> Yeah, Howard's not With here. Pearl Bear and Howard Lapidus. Howard's not here. Featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. I certainly hope so. Mark's here. So is Kip And sometimes Marie Mackey, Esquire. She forgot to show up. But Kip's here. Yeah, Kip's here. Produced by Magic Matthew Allen. I know that guy. Why are you filling all those holes? <laughs> Who in turn <laughs> is produced by Lee <laughs> Jr. It's genetic, If you're a disc jockey, you feel obligated to fill the hole. But you, you're, you're no longer a disc jockey. Neither am I, and neither is Mark Boyer. We're not disc jockeys. But after, you know, but he keeps elongating that bit. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I think his timing is perfect on it. Leave it alone. <laughs> he changes the timing with his finger. Not to mention the audio. Back now, to true crime. <laughs> thank you. Deidre Capone, how you doing there? I'm doing well, thank Just you. Just before the break, you were going to tell us an exciting pulse-pounding story about something. What was that? Well, um, after the Valentine's Day massacre, yes, Bugs Moran's business, you know, you know, went away. They couldn't service, you know, a lot of their speakeasies and things like that. So, yes, Capone then did take more speakeasies. But, you know, Bugs Moran, um, he just kind of disappeared, and he went away. Some People don't even know really what happened to him and where he went. So if, if he'd really thought that, you know, Al Capone did it, there would have been some retaliation. There would have been a war of some kind. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it was uh, Florida. What was in Florida? Bugs Moran. Is that where he was? Oh, oh. So was Al. Florida. He went to Florida? Yeah. Cool. Okay, so was Al. So, I mean, you know, and, you know, Meyer Lansky was here. I mean, all of these boys, they would get together on a regular basis, and they'd either meet up in Cuba 
or Hot Springs, Arkansas. And, of course, they did meet in, in Atlantic City for that big, you know, powwow that one time. But well, Blaze, I got a question for you. I got a question for you. After the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, yep. and after uh, Bugsy goes down to Florida, Al goes down to Florida, Meyer Lansky goes, do they get together after this? Oh, sure. They had a lot of respect. You know, it, it isn't like... I, I was on Brian Metzger's Decoded show, and what they did is they um, they showed the progression of gangs, and they started with Al Capone's outfit, and then they went to the Mexican cartel. Back in the 20s, there really was honor among thieves. Um, there was respect. I mean, you know, they're all kids of immigrants that came, you know, to this country. for The promise. They all got in. Joe Kennedy was every bit as mm. big a bootlegger as Al Capone. Um, Deidre. Yes? You know what the uh, word mafioso means in Sicilian? Black hand, isn't it? No. It okay. means a man of honor. Okay, there you go. But, you know... Um, Al Capone's business, and that's how he referred to it, was not part of the mafia. In order to be in the mafia, you must be Sicilian. And um, we're, we're not Sicilian. So, um, you know, it, the outfit was never part of it. But there really was honor back then. And, you know, the only retaliation is if somebody got into that business and they did not do what they were supposed to do or they did things, you know, that they shouldn't do, there has to be consequences. I mean, the police were in on it, judges were in on it, politicians were in on it. The politicians used the outfit to get votes, you know, just like the unions do today. Um you know, no, don't don't bring up Rahm Emanuel, please. <laughs> no, no, I mean the politicians do use unions to get votes, and back in the twenties, the politicians used the outfit. They used the liquor business to buy votes. So did Kennedy. Sure, absolutely. But see, Kennedy had three sons, especially two that got into um, law, uh, and they were able to purge all the public records of all the negativity about their father. My father was earmarked to do that. He was the firstborn of the new generation, and second generation. He was brilliant. He went to all the good schools, Notre Dame, Loyola. He got his law degree, passed it with flying colors, but the Chicago Bar Association would not allow him to practice because his name was Capone. That's oh. why I was born a Capone. You know, everybody else in my immediate family, the men changed their last name. So any uh, children that were born were not born with the name Capone. My cousin, my cousin uh, joined the FBI, and they would not allow him to join using our surname really so, so he changed his name and uh, there's a little humor behind this and i won't give you the first name but i'll give you the last name he changed his last name to covert <laughs> oh <laughs> covert that is very funny 
That is funny. That is funny. <laughs> that a true story, Kim? Yeah. That's very funny. He's retired now in Florida. Yeah. With Meyer well, Lansky Jr. Believe it or not, Meyer Lansky Jr. I think is in yeah. what L.A. Arkansas right Arkansas. now. He was in Las Vegas um, for a, a long time. I, I know Meyer and his his wife Danny quite well. Um, but um, I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation on March 20th here in Florida to 200 FBI agents and sheriffs, county sheriffs. Well, my cousin might be there. Ah! <laughs> Look for someone named Covert. <laughs> I, and his cousin really clandestine will be there. That is clandestine, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Well, that depends on your you know, origin, how you pronounce it. <laughs> You're also going on the cruise ships. I am. I'm now a celebrity speaker with Princess Cruise. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's the payment for all your sins. <laughs> okay. I guess so. You know. yeah. Kip and I, I were talking about this before the show. He has his own theory on that. Well, <laughs> I go on a little short. Um, I'm getting on a ship in April in Cabo St. Lucas and then going to San Francisco. And then I go out on Alcatraz for four days signing books in the bookstore and on Alcatraz. Cool. How much for yeah. how much for the signature in a book? Seventeen dollars. Okay. Well, that's not bad. Yeah. It's a good book too. The recipe Robert Blake is signed it right now yeah. for twenty bucks. <laughs> it's been on the best selling list many times. Yeah. Uh, the audio version is finished and I uh, got did you do it or have someone do it for you? Yeah, big publisher that is going to get that out there. So the audio should be available for purchase, you know, by the end of March. Well, I was asking, I was asking who did the audio? Did you do the audio yourself? I did it. Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I worked with an, a, a professional voice impersonator, and he does all the Capone quotes in there and Al's actual voice. Cool. Oh, wow. You better release soon because your audience is going to die. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, you know what? There is a huge, huge um, group of young people. Um, what what, what do you consider huge? Give me a number. <laughs> oh my! I bet there's a million. At least okay. it, it is a big. It is a big uh, new market for the, this whole mob thing. We just look at Vegas. I mean, the wall that these guys were gunned down on is now in Las Vegas at the Mob Correct. Museum. Correct. It's in the missing a few bricks that were sold, but, but Michael Jackson Jr. They just found um, a um, a video and a song that he did many years ago, and it was Al Capone. Who's but Michael Jackson Jr.? I'm sorry, that didn't mean Jr. Michael Jackson. There you go. Um, um, they found this. Uh, told Michael Jackson not to come out with an Al Capone song. So he changed it into smooth. It's criminal. Yep. Yep. Guess, it's, guess it's, that it's one. Al Capone's name in there. There's also a rapper uh, who uses the name Al Capone. Well, he'll get shot in Vegas sometimes <laughs> yes. as he's rolling around. It wouldn't be unusual. So the most surveillance camera per square foot is downtown Los Angeles in the world. Or most surveillance. L.A. or Las Vegas? Las Vegas, Nevada. Pardon me. Downtown. The strip. Oh, the more, strip, more yeah. More cameras there than anywhere else on Earth. And this guy, this schmo, 
Besides, he thinks he can get away with a, a hit. He didn't do too well. They arrested him in Studio City last week. Oh, did they? They found him. Okay. They found one of them. Yeah. Hey, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, Kip, you might, I've, I've told this oh, months and months ago, but you talk about people who see things and think they can get away with stuff. These guys watched the movie City of Industry with uh, Harvey Keitel, where these guys rob a jewelry store in Las Vegas. So these guys decided to do it exactly like they did the movie. Now, I happen to be walking down uh, Palm Canyon Boulevard, and I walk right by the jewelry store as it's being robbed. These guys come out right in front of me uh, as I'm getting in my car, and they're in the car in front of me. And they get in the car you know, with, the, with the jewelry they just heisted, and they pull out into bumper-to-bumper rush-hour traffic. And we sit there, crawling down Palm Canyon Boulevard. This is their big getaway. And wow. the cops just let them drive they followed them in a helicopter all the way back to los angeles let them get home and park their car and then arrested them wow they it, are almost, some... it almost it almost makes me a little irritated that you can't do it pull like... a fast one <laughs> anymore anywhere but yet you know with all the surveillance and all this you know you can still violate virtually any law and and do all sorts of illegal stuff. So obviously there's a tolerance policy somewhere. Mm-hmm. I uh, took my oldest granddaughter to Las Vegas when she turned 21, and her purse was stolen. And so, you know, I went to the police department, and, you know, because I said, how is she going to get out of here? You know, she, she has no ID. So this happens all the time. They gave her something to show TSA, and it worked. Huh. See, you know, I had, had, a, ca- no I had a car ID. stolen from me in Las Vegas. So what I did is I put on my three-piece Armani suit, got a razor-cut haircut, went to the cab drivers and said, I want to know who has the, uh, the gang juice on each end of town. I want to go talk to them. I walked in, sat down next to this guy and said, someone made a terrible mistake. They stole the wrong car. Now, uh, uh, I'll give you $200 for the phone call and 50 guys, 50 bucks for the guy to deliver my car back to me and no one's going to do anything. Bam, I got the car back. Wow. <laughs> True story. Wow, that's, that's quite a story. True story. Hey, sometimes it's all in the presentation. <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> <laughs> that was good content. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, are there other members of the, of the Capone family who are irked to you? Who are what to me? Ir- irked. I-R-K-E-D. Upset. Uh, uh, wish you would- missed. Yeah, wish you would uh, shut up and go home. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, not anything like that. Uh, the, I really am a core member of the Capone family. Um, the Capone family gravesite in Hillside, Illinois, is under my direction. I'm in charge of it, and there's a, a, a grave waiting there for me and one for my husband. You may be it as soon as you think, if you're not yeah, careful. Well, who knows? <laughs> But oh no, come on! There's nobody um, left. That's true. I, none I, of the bad, none of the guys that may or may not have been involved are around, around anymore. 
Well, that's like our friend Georgia Durante who wrote the book, The Company She Keeps. Johnny Cosmo did not write the book, The Company She Keeps. Ladies and gentlemen, it was Georgia Durante. And I asked her, uh, having been a mob wife, and she tells all in the book, I said, uh, aren't you afraid of some retaliation from the mob? And she said, no, I'm more concerned about retaliation from the feds because what I was doing is I was delivering mob money to the FBI. They were laundering it for us. <laughs> wow. Well, I, I knew her, her father, Jimmy Durante. No, it's a different well. Durante. It's all right. Oh, it's a different yeah. Durante? Okay. Yeah. All right. But, uh, no, see, I chose in my book, Uncle Al Capone, I chose to tell my story rather than, you know, saying, you know, my cousin this and, mm. you know, my aunt. It, I mean, the only people I talk about are the core members of the family who have all died. My grandfather asked me, he knew I was going to write a book because when my father took his own life, he was writing a book and it was called The Sins of the Father. And this is essentially what he was trying to do is tell people, just because my father you know, is a certain kind of man, don't paint me with that same brush. You know, let me be the individual that I am. So that's what I decided to do with my book, Uncle Al Capone. I just want people to know there is a family out there with the last name Capone. And we're really a, a good family. I have four children. I have 14 grandchildren. I've wow. been married to the same man in June. It'll be 50 years. Mm. There's never been anything more than a parking ticket or a speeding ticket that any one of my descendants, you know, have gotten. So we're not... Well, you're good at hiding things. <laughs> no, no, I, believe me. You know, I've been out there now well over a year, and Burl knows this. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. If anybody would find anything out about me, believe me, it would be there. <laughs> That's right. And even if they have to make it up, which sometimes they do. Uh-huh. I, they do. They do. They do. Well, I'll tell you, though, you're, you're lucky because, as, as I mentioned, uh, several of our, several, actually means three, so it's more than several, uh, several of our guests have, had, have received death threats prior to coming on this show. Wow. Uh, and I've told them, don't worry, we've never killed anything except careers. So it <laughs> should be okay. But uh, Vegas Ragdoll uh, got uh, death threats. And uh, 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 what's his name? I wrote the book Breakshot, uh, who wore a wire for seven years in the mob. Uh, they well, tried you know, to I was kill him twice. La- I was in Las Vegas a year ago, January, last month. And I was on a panel show with... Uh, the, uh, the that lady that wrote Vegas Ragdoll, you know, yeah, Ragdoll, um, and her daughter, mm-hmm. and I, you know, they they do. I mean, they name names. Oh yeah, they're saying they're saying some pretty terrible things about people that are still alive. Yes, so. yeah, I know. Especially uh, what's his name, uh, Granby or whatever the hell his name is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he. I mean, yeah. I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I thought. Yeah. yeah, you want to know who the guys were on the grassy knoll? Ask her. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, she sure. thinks she thinks she knows where uh, uh, Jimmy Hoffa's uh, yeah. body went. Yeah, 
Well, then again, we, that's been kind of cooperated from a few different sources, so it uh, could be all, all accurate and correct. Yeah. But uh, like I say, as he was saying, most of the people that might complain about uh, what you're saying have uh, been dead for a long time. Correct. And they're not going to come back and haunt you like some zombie gangster apocalypse. No, but I think, you know, based on the success um, that I've had, and I've had so many people say so many nice things about the book, the content, and the way it's written, I really believe my ancestors are helping me. Um, you know, my dad was to play this role for the Capone family, and, you know, I'm the only person that can do it. There's not a, another member of the Capone family that can say the things, know the things, and can write the book that, that I wrote. Isn't that That's one? absolutely true. That's like that Bob Dylan song. Someone had to play this part. I guess it was up to me. Exactly. <laughs> Someone I mean, had to do it. Somebody had to do it. And my grandfather promised, or made me promise that I wouldn't till all the original family members had died. You know, that in itself is an amazing story, my grandfather. I mean, men of that era never talked business to women. They no. never, ever, you know, did that. And after my Well, that's father, part of it was a protection, because if you don't know anything, no one has to worry about you saying anything. I guess so, and, and loose lips, you know, yeah. sink ships. Sink ships. Yeah, but that and was that was the Spanish Armada. <laughs> so you so know, that's another story. For him to tell me, and for him to take me in his inner confidence, and I mean, I didn't write a lot of the things that he told me. He told me about Jimmy Hoffa. He knew what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, but I didn't put that in the book. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with my story, but my grandfather did tell me about it. Um, so, uh, so did he get, you know, dismembered and thrown into a crusher and disappear in a car? No, but, no, that's not it. But um, Jimmy Hoffa was a good friend of my grandfather's. Um, here's an interesting story. After Prohibition ended... Um, a man came to, his name is Koski, Max Koski, and he went to my grandfather and asked him to loan him some money because he wanted to start a distilling company. And so he did. He, you know, set it up, and of course with spirits, you know, it has to age in mm -hmm. barrels for at least three years. So, you know, three years comes, and uh, he had orders for... The, you know, the bottles of liquor and stuff. And the truckers go on strike. And it kept going and going, so the liquor could never be, you know, delivered. So, so age Max Kosky goes to my grandfather and says, is there, hey, Ralph, is there anything you could do? He says, yeah, I'll give Jimmy Hoffa a call. He called Jimmy Hoffa, and this guy's liquor was the only thing that was delivered. <laughs> the company is Jim Beam. <laughs> Successful company. Yeah. Was he a little it, stock it in that? going down the tubes, but, you know, my, my grandfather called Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, it says, you know, it's, uh, they say I, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and in L.A. it's not who you know, it's where you're seated. Mm -hmm. Ah, so if you're in the front row at the Oscars, you're hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's cool. I wasn't. No. I didn't even see Mickey Rooney this year. I always look for Mickey Rooney. Yeah, well, you know, he's short. Yeah, I could have missed him. So, <laughs> I thought he just died. Did he? Mickey Rooney didn't die, did he? Did he die? No, no I don't know. Uh, I Bonnie Franklin he... passed away Friday. Well, she's got a lot of nerve. Well, yeah. well, how'd that happen? 
Well, this is, this is the last one day. Oh, one day at a time. I was That was the last day. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Never met her. Did meet uh, the girls that uh, played her daughters, though. But uh, um, uh, Mackenzie Ch- Phillips. Mackenzie Phillips and oh, Valerie Bertinelli. We did a telephone together for the Children's Orthopedic Hospital. Oh, exciting. With Monty Hall. <laughs> Come on down. Yeah, and Monty Hall remember, you know, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, too, but maybe it's just I have a lousy memory, but there are people who remember everything. And remember everybody's name and where they met them and all this stuff. I bumped into Monty Hall. We hadn't done anything together. We used to do a t- telephone, you know, every year for Sons with Peak Hospital. It had been like maybe 20 years or something. I remember the Frank Sinatra uh, open, whatever. He sees me. Hi, Burl. How's everything going? Uh, the blah, blah. And he starts reminiscing about, you know, various people we'd worked with back. They're going, how does this guy do this? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't. I try to. I try to remember the first time I saw Kip on stage. Yeah. Right. And I can remember most of the comedians, but I don't remember where I saw him the first time. Maybe it was here. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, I, I've seen him over a half dozen times over the thirty years. Really? Yeah, he's one of the guys that I would seek out. Uh, see, I just watch him on YouTube. You could go on uh, YouTube, uh, YouTube D- Deidre, and, and look up ago, uh, Kipadada, who was asking you questions here on the show, and you'll see him do some of his great comedy routines. I probably suspect it was... What is next for you? Are you going to do a sequel, like uh, Uncle Al Capone 2? Um, I've got other things to write, but my, my long-range goal is I would like this to be a screenplay. So that's what I'm working toward. You know, you, you really don't make any main book. You notice that, you know, did you? Burl knows that firsthand. <laughs> but, you but could Burl even be a New York Times bestselling author. But still. <laughs> but Burl is a fabulous yep. screenwriter. Yes. I am endorsing products now. Um, oh, that's what I was going to ask you, because we were talking about how they had like those Al Capone little cigars. I'm going, but that, have well, you managed to get that? I'm dealing with a company that? in Switzerland that actually does uh, make a cigar they they market it here and it's called the El Capone cigar but there was a rye whiskey that was distilled during prohibition just for my family um, that was the first actual spirit that I ever drank with my grandfather and he called it the good stuff <laughs> and so now I have endorsed that as the official whiskey of Al Capone. And now this company in Switzerland uh, wants me to do the more cigars. Cool. Well, good. You, should, you should get someone to manage manage uh, the image and likeness and all that because you, you probably own it. And uh, uh, there are companies that specialize in representing uh, deceased celebrities. It is a company. It's right there in L.A. Um, I did get in touch with that company a couple of years ago. The man was very nasty to me, and he said that he would not, you know, mm-hmm. want to validate Al Capone because of what he thought he knew about him. Oh, so that's a no good. Maybe, maybe yeah, now. Probably. Here's a, uh, excuse me a second, our producer uh, Matt Allen has a question for you. I only, I only caught like a couple words. Did she mention something about cigars and Al Capone? Yes. Okay, yes. What, what was the reference? You can tell me. Oh, yeah, well, there's a, uh, a cigar being, uh, an Al Capone cigar being made in Switzerland. Yeah, well, for years, though. I mean, for this has been at least 12, 10 to 12 years that this thing has been produced. I'm not Correct. certain they're still producing these. Correct. It started during the boom. Yeah. Well, it's She's just aware like, of this? you know, the yeah. Templeton, Templeton so did, did Rye she, Whiskey. Did she get any of that licensing money? Did you get paid for that at all? No. No. 
Well, did you get paid on the Templeton Rye whiskey? I, I, they did pay me, yes, and oh, I am their ambassador. <laughs> That's good. Now. That's good. That's good. That's and good. So I do, I do go around and do TV shows, you know, for them. When I came on board, Templeton Rye was only available in five states. It is now avail- available in thirty-eight states. Yeah, we, we have to see about if you have the rights for like licensing it, name and image, because there could be Al Capone uh, slot machines in Vegas. That would be cool with his name and likeness on it. I can't do that, but um, the the attorney that I am working with is taking a different angle. It is that unless it has Deirdre Marie Capone's endorsement, then it is not a real Al Capone product. Ah. ah. So it would say endorsed by Deidre Marie Capone. Correct. 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 And if you pick up a bottle of uh, Templeton rye whiskey, which is delicious, by the way, and it is available in California, (laughs) all over California. We'll have to get some out here at the lounge. Templeton Templeton rye whiskey, and you look on the back, you'll see an oval um, label on there, and it tells the story, and I... I have signed it. This is Deirdre Marie Capone. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That's very cool. We'll obviously, so, have to get some out here. Have the distributors send a, send a few bottles out here to Outlaw Radio to Magic Van Allen. I'm sure you will consume mass quantities of it just to be... Well, uh, they, they consume mass quantities regardless of what's here. <laughs> yeah, Whatever's here, what it's consumed. They're, they're working through... I think it's Wurtz Beverage that is out in California. So, um, there's... No, Infinium Spirits. That's who's out in California. Infinium Spirits. And they're the distributor for it. Well, we'll get Matt right well, on that. <laughs> uh, I suspect that you know Be- uh, Bev Moen, like yeah, that. Yeah, Bev Moen. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get some out here for the uh, the drinkers here at the uh, Lighten Up Lounge to to sample that in your honor. Uh, uh, as, as we close out, we touched on this the last time you were on the show, but I just wanted to hit on it again. Um, your recollections of your uh, uncle? Oh, well, he. I could still hear the sound of his voice. I can still smell, you know his scent, you know, the, his skin. To me, he he was a big uncle. There was one instance where I was out in the kitchen on Prairie Avenue and we were cooking, and my Aunt Matthew, uh came out and, and said that there were some men that want, wanted to see my uncle. So he took off his apron, he um, went out and put on his suit coat, put a cigar in his mouth, went into, we called it the parlor at that time. So he basically put the persona on. Yeah. And then he sat down and I saw him change. He got stiff. He got this stare in his eyes. You know, he had the cigar in his mouth. These two men came in, overcoats, hats in their hand, and they talked it seemed like forever, you know, to me because I was just a little girl. And, you know, they said things to each other. Then those two gentlemen left, and my uncle sat there still with that stare and that hard, hard look on his face and for what seemed an eternity. And then all of a sudden he looked toward me, winked, and then stood up, (laughs) took my hand, and we went back into the kitchen. He took off his suit coat, and we started singing and stirring, you know, so the, the gravy. So a good portion of of the Al Capone in, in air quotes was an act, it a persona an act. that he put on. You know, I have met, I have probably met 
a dozen people since the book has come out who actually knew some of my family, you know, lived down the street from them or, you know, did some business with them, you know, whatever. This one man was almost 100 years old and he was talking to me. I have never met anyone who had anything bad to say. I've never met anyone who was ever afraid of my family. Um, they, you know, talk about them. That was a business. And, you know, there were two Al Capones. There was the businessman, there was the family man. There was two Ralph Capones, the businessman and the family man. Although my grandfather had more of a problem letting go of his um, aloofness. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was the oldest, and, you know, he had to take charge when his father died, and, you know, he had to take care of, you know, his mother and things like that. So he had just a different persona. And people that really knew, um, you know, what was going on in Chicago in the 20s, they say Ralph Capone ran the business. Al Capone did not. Well, listen, we're all out of time once again. Uh, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show, dear. It's always I've a, enjoyed this Always, always a joy having you on the show. I'm glad the book's doing well and the, the PowerPoint presentations. And should be kind of fun for you there at Alcatraz. Yeah. <laughs> I back. can't do a PowerPoint in Alcatraz. Uh, I suggest that you bring yourself uh, something warm because <laughs> it's chilly out there. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I we have a great day. We'll look forward to having you back on the show, probably again on the anniversary of this one. So take care of yourself. Thank you very much. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nice lady. Always fun to have her on the show. It's the third time in three years. About a year between each each exciting one. Great lady. Uh, Magic, Matt Allen, the Demons of Decadence. I wish I could stick around, but uh, i got to go buy popcorn so I can sit in front of my TV and... What? The Cow Sills. Yes, shirtless pics of the Cow Sills will be sold. (laughs) The word for the Cow Sills, there wouldn't have been a Partridge family. They were the prototype... The template, the reality of a family rock band. You'll get all the details on that Allen show. Down the street went out the corner of my eye. I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man who looks so all alone. Could you use a little company? If you pay the right price, your evening will be nice and you can go and send me on my way. I said, you're such a sweet young thing. Why you do this to yourself? She looked at me and this is what she said.